0: Hello everybody, this is the Stronghold Podcast episode 20. I'm here with one of my best friends, Ahmed Zara. Ahmed is the, Mima, the current MIMA welterweight champion. He's uh, one of my oldest friends. We know each other from going way back. We know each other from the Evolve days, from the trifecta days, from the clinch days. Oh, yeah. He's also a professional Muay Thai fighter and we've been on this martial arts journey pretty much together for the better part of a decade. What's going on, dude? It's good, man. What's good? He's also an architect. Chillin'. I always said your, <laughs> yeah. fight, your fight name should be the architect of destruction. Just saying.
1: Oh, that's really good. Right? I, wish I, I wish I knew that one before. Yeah, <laughs> I would have used it.
0: It was good, man. So how you doing? We've been talking about doing this podcast for ages. Unfortunately, I prefer to do them face-to-face, but given the situation, this is as good a time as any. I figured to sit here and chat for a
1: while. Yeah, I think uh, hundreds of kilometers is an appropriate social distance. So we uh, you're yeah you're you're in Singapore. I'm here in Malaysia. This wouldn't have been possible. Though, the beauty of uh, technology. So here we are. Although we
0: should say that, just full disclosure, there is a little bit of audio issues because you are in Malaysia, and it's not Singapore. No offense, Malaysians.
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> sure, all Singapore. right.
0: I'm gonna be elitist, bro. I'm back in Singapore now.
1: Yeah, I can't really I can't really defend this. It was <laughs> <laughs> a Wi-Fi in here
0: terrible you know what's weird dude even as i was saying this fuck we've been training together for a long ass time going back to the evolved days in 2000 and or no yeah when the fuck what i meet you in 2013 14 when were you training i you don't developed? know uh,
1: i moved to singapore in 2011 i want to say and i started training at evolved like soon thereafter well when i met you you were like a one-stripe white belt i think so that's probably okay about so right. maybe was 2012 i think yeah.
0: That sounds about right. right. So yeah, almost ten years, dude. Yeah, fun? you were, uh,
1: you were, like horrible to roll with. What? I hated training with you. What? Yeah. what? No, because at, at that time you were like this like, uh, like thick wrestler dude <laughs> who just like get on top and just like smother. Like it was just like basically just the wrestler's version of jiu jitsu. Get on top, smother, main side control, just like just crush me with your. Heavy, heavy beer belly at the time. <laughs> <It> <laughs> yeah, was I, was, awful. I was almost 80 was,
0: kilos back then, dude.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 it was it was not pleasant, man. It was this really is news pleasant. to me.
0: This is news to me. I did not know you didn't like training with me back in the day. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, it, it got better. It got better. I mean, obviously, when I I, I slowly improved, it got better. Um, well, I was a purple but, belt
0: then, and you were like a one or two stripe white belt. So I think generally, most one or two stripe white belts aren't going to enjoy rolling with the purple belts.
1: Yeah, it was miserable, but also your particular style sucked. Yeah, I, I, didn't I was enjoy. overcompensating, dude. I was
0: overcompensating. Also, <laughs> I didn't have the technique back then, even as a purple belt. So I would have to, yeah. seriously. So I would just have to like do that kind of shit. Squeeze people, use my athleticism, use my res- wrestling base. Because I was like a wrestler jujitsu jitsu guy, but I was like 85% wrestler. I didn't have any fucking technique. I was such a noob,
1: even as a purple yeah. belt. I mean, you could just tell like the different kind of body structures when you're dealing with them. Like, where they, like what backgrounds they come from. Like the, the rest of their dudes are just like they're always on top of these rolls like inside controls just like smashing your face you know uh Stop the the judo guys of doom on your neck yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly exactly shoulder pressure side control spinning around being really fast really athletic uh and but it's better than judo guys I hate rolling the judo guys because they're just they're either like extremely explosive with their submissions or they're very boring and don't want to do anything like you know don't want to pass guard don't want to like play guard their strong judo position
0: and they don't shoot which is fucking annoying like if you're training with them and they're all very mm. stiff too they're all really you know judo people are, and they break grips and shit it fucks my hands up every time i roll the judo <laughs> course. i'm just like ow god ow uh,
1: exactly
0: yeah, right? a wrestler dude i want to grab those sleeves and lapels and stuff but it's it's interesting dude because yeah i used to be such a such an athletic based style with like zero technique and it really was just overcompensating i think now i've gone too far in the other direction though now when i roll I tend to be way too like like fucking idiot jujitsu guy doing nothing with zero explosiveness, upside down, being lazy. You know, you can get away with that stuff the better your technique gets. So you I think could, I've gone too far.
1: You could also be getting older. I mean, <laughs> that happens too. <laughs> That's happened to me. I don't know. Like my my jujitsu game has gotten really kind of like lax and lazy. And I think it was also um after i think when i was training in singapore because i was training with a lot of like higher belts belts that were higher than me um with tons of black belts brown belts and stuff uh my game was more aggressive and then as i moved to malaysia i was training with a lot more white belts and blue belts my game just kind of just became like super relaxed because i could relax you know and then i don't i don't know i mean I feel like my, my progress kind of slowed down because I kind of like rested on like that, that space between my skill level and everybody else's skill level. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I was in Singapore and I was like constantly being like pushed and tapped and you know that I had to like push myself to reach the level of my training partners. That's when my game was the most like aggressive and you know athletic. Well, there is there is a trap that you can kind of get into
0: right when you when you do have more roles. You know, I'll give you an example. It even happens in Muay Thai and shit. And you called me out on it one day on our group chat, because it was like, you know, most of my roles and most of my sparring matches are like what I would call teaching, teaching roles. Right. Like, right. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to beat my white belt or blue belt. I'm not trying to beat him up. Like I let him do stuff. I let him pass my guard sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, I let him, I let him work. Like if I can't get out of an arm bar attempt from a blue belt, like I, <laughs> I probably shouldn't even be doing that. And the same thing with the sparring, like I'll, I'll throw deliberately slow, like kind of bad shit to give him an opening. Mm-hmm. And, but so in some sense it it does, you do need to do that. But on the other side, if that becomes the primary Method of your training, your technique's are just going to erode over the years. And I do feel like I've gotten into a little bit of that. What I need to do more of is those kind of teaching, sparring rounds, and rolling rounds while also making sure that I keep my technique sharp and
1: not just like fucking flop around like an idiot. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> Good advice, generally speaking. Don't flop around.
1: <laughs> I think you ended on a strong note there. Uh, no, I think it's, I've, I've had to deal with that a lot in uh, Muay Thai sparring. Um, where I am, like, sort of put with people that I have to teach or I'm just put with people who are smaller than me or I put with people who may not have, like, the same kind of technical background. Um, so I find that for myself, what helps is just choosing one attribute that I want to work on or one technique that I want to work on or uh, say, okay, like, this round, I'm not going to throw – I'm just going to defend and sweep. That's all I'm going to do. To defend things that they throw at me. And sweep this round. I'm only. I'm not going to use my teeps. I'm just going to use like you know, round kicks to defend myself. This round, I'm only going to use like dip arms to defend myself. That kind of stuff. It's like specific Otherwise, training almost, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Otherwise, it's it, it can. It's either you kind of drop your level to meet their level, which doesn't really benefit them, because they. Because the issue being like the higher level that's dropping down to their level, is that they're still in their minds you're still the higher level guy so they're going to attack you as if you're still the higher level guy you know i think that's so why i've also... done is made your Go ahead. It's Just is made it more dangerous for you that's all it is
0: yeah I think that's also why it's always nice, like, you know, if crew noise there, if there's a coach there, because then you can still mm-hmm. do that. But you got to watch full eye because like, even when I do it, I don't even realize that I'm doing it half the time. But then like, I'll watch a video of myself and I'm like, oh God, what the fuck was that, you know, horrible technique, yeah. like punches not coming back to your chin, chin sticking straight up in the air. And then you're just like, oh, that's, that's nasty. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Kind of need that watchful abs- hand to observe you and make sure that you're not, you know, going too far in either direction. Either a, being an asshole, or b, just, you know, being too too loose and not not sharp enough. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, give the for the people listening to the podcast, do tell everybody like your training, like you know how many fights you've had, your disciplines, all that kind of stuff. Most people in the scene here know who you are, but
1: uh, okay, I have had. I've had more MMA fights than anything else. Say that. that. Uh, I'm trying to think about this. I'm a I'm a purple belt. I am uh, considered a professional Muay Thai fighter. Only had one professional Muay Thai fight, uh, and I've had seven seven MMA fights. Shit, sounds about right. Three, three, three nine. Yeah, I'm, I'm clearly not keeping. Out of my record. <laughs> I don't really care about these things. <laughs> You've had a bunch of I amateur, think I had like
0: Muay Thai fights, too. So you, yeah. you, you probably had between 10 and 15. Uh,
1: yeah, around there. Like, I've had, I think, three, two or three amateur Muay Thai, Thai fights. One pro Muay Thai fight. Uh, about Nine, I want to say, eight or nine uh, MMA amateur fights. And then a bunch of jiu matches.
0: I mean, you're pretty seasoned, uh, dude.
1: You've had a lot of competition experience. Yeah, I guess so. I've, <laughs> I
0: don't know. That MIMA me, that tournament format, dude, that'll get you a lot of fights really quick. Every month,
1: I remember coming down to KL every... How many times did you fight in that last season? I had I had only about like maybe four five fights. No, no, it was like five or six fights in my last season. I think six fights. And um, that's like a few had, months And they turn them out. Yeah, that, that was like over the course of say nine months. Uh, um and I was supposed to have more, but I had opponents pull out on me, like several opponents pulled out. Uh my like Kivan and I, my my teammate and friend, uh we were both in the same bracket in the same tournament. And basically we just like I think after our first couple of fights, people could see like saw how we fought, so we just pulled out. And so in the end it was like we had I think far fewer fights than we would have had. But if we had all the fights we should have had, it would have been like, I don't know, like eight or nine fights that, that year. Yeah, Teben's going to come on the podcast in a couple days, so that's perfect. You guys can oh, cool. throw, nice. throw a little shade to each other if you want. Now's the time. Uh, <laughs> no, man. We've, we 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 tried doing that. Like <laughs> You know, we were supposed so to Tell be, everybody we the story.
0: Yeah, give everybody the quick background for you and Teben because he's coming on the podcast in a couple
1: days. Okay, so Teeban and I, we've been training together for a while, about like three years, I want to say. Um, he he was the MIMA champion before me, so I actually helped him train, like, up to that championship fight, uh, and then when it was time for, like, last MIMA, I think MIMA 2017, both of us entered the tournament. Uh we both entered the ter- same tournament, the same bracket. I just, it was, for me, it was like a last-minute like whim. I was just like, oh, you know, I've got nothing else to do. Like I haven't been able to set a Muay Thai fight. It's like I should just fight Mima. Bro, and you should have like, got Whoa. a
0: different weight class. He probably like, bro, what the fuck? <laughs> like why? Why did
1: you do that? I
0: last I, minute, I, I, I just <laughs> fucked this shit up. I know,
1: I know. That, that, that definitely makes me the asshole. <laughs> but, but at the time, I didn't think I was gonna like actually go through it with the tournament. I was like, yeah, you know, I like, just go in, try out, be fine. Beat up some random get like a fight. Um because I, I just I was just gonna go there just for the tryout. And then I in the tryout, the organizers knew me because I fought me back in like 2014. That was when we started training together, like yeah. MMA, MMA wise. Uh so the organizers were like, all right, we'll we'll make this interesting. Um they set up this fucked up like tryout match for me. everybody else had like a tryout fight you know so they give you like I think it was one round they, they, they pulled like a random person for you to fight right and so you'd have to fight one round standing I think one round they started um, like say the blue corner would be on the bottom the red corner oh, would be yeah. on
0: top oh yeah that's right the, I forgot about that the
1: third, the third round would be like I think red corner would, yeah just reverse it right yeah red corner's on bottom blue corner's on top but for me, they had, they had a starting stand up, and I basically like TKO'd the guy. Yeah, I'm, what? I'm in the middle of something. <laughs> yeah. All right. So for, for me, they started the, the match um, standing up, right? Like everybody else. And I TKO'd the guy in like the first 30 seconds or something. And so they're like, all right, fuck it. Okay, you're, you're on your back. So I, I, was on, I got put on my back. And then I go-go-plotted the guy. You go-go-plotted like, the guy? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Just flexing <laughs> on him, dude, like throwing random fucking submissions.
1: Yeah, no, one of our, uh, the, the coach, my coach at the time, uh, David, he was like yelling at us, he was yelling at me from outside the ring. He's like, if you don't go-go-plotted this guy, I'm going to unfriend you from Facebook. <laughs> so, <laughs> Serious so <threat>. I, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I, I go-go-plotted him. And then after that, they're like, "Okay, you start, restart, but this time you're in side control, so I was side control bottom, and I escaped, and I got on top, and I was like ground and pound." And then they restarted again with me on. This a, a different
0: guy every time, or yeah, same
1: guy? they restarted again. That was the same guy, the same guy. I felt I felt bad for the guy <laughs> because like the guy still had to be in there with me. Like yeah, he yeah. was, he was, he was getting frustrated. So, like, the technical the level was clearly. Him,
0: too 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 much yeah it was like okay dude
1: like you could you can change the, the position has been made yeah yeah plus he was probably like hurting from like the first knockout <laughs> yeah I was essentially like I yeah it was like I need him in the stomach and then like uppercutted him and was like finishing the, like hitting with my hands a lot and the referee waved it off so that was how this whole thing started and then he had to like stay with me as they restarted and restarted, and restarted. Um, How'd you I feel, feel when you're I'm just beating me. on
0: this dude? Like you're like, come on, man! Like, come on, Rev. What are we doing here?
1: I mean, it was like, it was it was, was kind of cool at the same time because he like flexing, <laughs> 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 like flexing hard, like uh, doing stupid chokes and reversing yourself, like getting out of bad positions easily and all that stuff. But they, they, they started him with like on my back, and that was like the last thing. I, he was on my back. They restarted, it. and I escaped and finished on top, grounded, town. So that's how the tournament started. And I was like, okay, this is cool. Um, I think I'm just gonna end it here. Obviously, I wanted to continue. This was a strong start, it was entertaining. Everybody was like, you know, the the Mima people were all asking me to get back and and you know continue. Um, and I spoke to Tibin about it. We had a we had a chat likely with Tben and our coach. Uh, and, you know, they were like, well, how, how do we, how do we, how do we do this? I would think, should I You guys trained at the continue? same gym? You guys trained at the same gym? You trained together? Yeah, we trained at same weight same class. Same gym, same weight class, trained together. And he's we, the previous
0: champion. We, you helped him train. Yeah,
1: he was the last year. I, I would have, I would, presumably, I would fight him, right, if I went through the whole way through the tournament. Um, so we were like, how do we do this? And he's like, you know what, you know what? Fuck it, like we help each other train. Let's just both go through this tournament. Let's beat up all these dudes together. Um, as as a karate guy, Tibin is used to fighting his own teammates. So it's an interesting thing. Like karate, like you, I guess it's, it's I guess it's normal to have multiple teammates within the same weight class because they'll have such huge brackets, uh, and so they're 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 fighting people that they train with like all the time. It's not like jujitsu where you close out brackets. Only do jujitsu kind of does that.
0: Does that? Thing yeah, it's like people won't compete against their own teammates, which is insane. Yeah, they, they roll together. Other
1: combat sports out. won't allow it. So, like apparently yeah. karate, uh they're saying like they fight they fight their own teammates to get on the national team. Yeah, so it's just a part of like the process for them, you know. So he was he was like, yeah, no problem, man. I'm game for it. I was like, awesome. Okay. <laughs> sure, do this. Yeah. Yeah. Beat each other so, up and everyone
0: else's entertainment. Hell
1: yeah. Y- yeah yeah, yeah, I mean it was like yeah, it was a running joke about what we would do like coming up to it. We're like, oh maybe we should like do like a like a choreographed fight scene or something, or like maybe we should just do something, you know, like we would pull our punches or something like that. And, and you know, as as like the day drew closer, you know, we were like as I think we reached our last fights within the tournament um that's when the conversation became a lot more serious and because you I, don't know that you're going to even
0: necessarily meet
1: in the finals right yeah you know, the possibility
0: is there I mean, but you, until it's real possibly. it's not real
1: right <laughs> yeah I like I, I i kind of like scouted the bracket and i knew okay there's like maybe two or three guys here that are potentially dangerous you know outside of t there was like takeaway uh, it's another guy what's his name Aaron I think Aaron something I don't remember his last name and then Hazurul, who was like a, another former champion so if I could make it past those those three guys then it's definitely gonna I'm, it's definitely gonna be us in the final so Teben made it past Test take away first and then it was me and then he made it I think he fought Hazurul in his, like, his second round I also fought Hazurul in my last round and I was like okay it's the time, right? <laughs> so when, when we, when we were like about to, um, start training for each other, uh, we had our little conversation and I was like, okay, so, um, I'm not really sure how to go about this. You know, now that it's real, now that it's like an actual reality fight each other, uh, uh, you know, maybe we should do some sort of like, have like a gentleman's agreement you know like we only go for submissions or we only do like you know we don't hit each other full on or something like that and team's like no i think we should just fight yeah we should just fight for real i was just like oh, oh okay <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> well it's weird okay, it's back- you guys
0: are you guys are friends your buddies your training yeah partners. yeah and at certain also point, to be like okay okay how are we going to do this we just yeah you just can beat each other up and that's that. Yeah. I mean, also, Tegan's
1: really fucking strong. Yeah. He's like, really a strong dude. Oh, I know. Yeah, He's, yeah, he's strong as shit. Yeah. He hits hard. He hits hard. And, I, and I've never been hit by him 100%. So the, the thing in training is like, yeah, you never know what your training partner's 100% is. Or at least you shouldn't know. If you know what your training partner's 100% is, then your training partner's an asshole. Yeah. Totally. You shouldn't be hitting your training partner's like 100%. So I was like, has he been hitting me 10%, 20%, 50%. And it becomes a mental fucking beat, 80%, right? you just start going. See, I was like, right I, was, I don't know. Like the first clean shot that he landed on me, I was like, oh Jesus Christ. He's been hitting me like at like 30% this whole time. Yeah. And now I know what his hundred percent is 100%. like. This sucks. Was it that shot in the cage when you shot down and he hammer fisted you in the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I saw it was the, your the, with the, that one. I was like, Ugh. oh my god. It That's was a brutal the first, shot, man. The first, like, single leg, I think I, I got to a like, single leg position. I got lazy with my head position. You know, your coaches always tell you you got to put your head, like, up when you're going for the, the single leg Yeah, in the chest. And I, I got kind of lazy with it. I had my head down. And I immediately realized why I had to put my head up. He just, like, boom, like Donkey Kong punched me straight in the face. And I had this, like, massive welt for the rest of the fight, for like the rest of the week. I had a massive welt from that one punch. And I, I pretty much blacked out on my feet just from that. that I think t hit me maybe three times clean in that fight. And each one of those fights, each one of those strikes, I was like, oh, God, no, I can't take another one of these. <laughs> so that was the, the first strike that he landed on me, and it almost ended it right there. Like I, I basically like flashed out for a second and came back and then finished the takedown. And thank God I did because that, that would have been it. <clears throat> so that was in like the first, just few seconds of the fight. That was the first, yeah. those the first 30 seconds.
0: Yeah. If your head goes near the hip when you're going for a takedown, especially when you're pressed up against the cage. And the thing is like, you know, you wear those big fat in the amateurs. You wear the big, was it? Eight ounce glove, but there's Seven not, sh- there's yeah. not shit here. There's nothing yeah. there. So if you're eating that yeah. hammer fist on the side of the head, there's nothing covering that, that part of the hand. So that's, that's as hard a punch as you can eat
1: in any fight <laughs> I literally had somebody warn me about that like to me day before <laughs> I was yeah you warned about me that. about that yes. <laughs> that was me bro uh, <laughs> cuz Silvio did the
0: same thing to also me. And they, I, I went lightheaded instantly and I was like oh
1: shit and yeah, it's like, it's 10 awful. your sort of temple whatever. your temple is right there yeah like your temple is right there on this like right by his hip so all he has to do is kind of punch himself in the dick and then his spikes boom and you generate
0: a ton more power going down like if you think of chopping wood right you get yeah, generate yeah, yeah, for sure. more force going downward like that than you can ever go in straight. So, like, first of all, you're getting a shitload more force than you can actually generate with a straight punch. Second of all, it's not covered,
1: right? Because that's the, it's the open part of the glove. Yeah, it's bad news, dude. It's bad news. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you're, you're telling the story, I think, on, like, one of the previous podcasts about, like, when Teben and I were exchanging in the caves. Um, there was, like, I don't know if that was the only moment. That's definitely like the one that I remember the clearest. The whole fight is kind of a blur, uh, but like we were, I was on top, I was punching him. He tried to like he was he was like reaching over or something like that, and he tried to like spin back around, uh, but he like clipped me with an elbow. And he was like,
0: and I said something.
1: <laughs> I was like, hey, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. He was like, oh my god, I'm sorry, dude. And I was just like, no, it's all right, man. And then you're just like. Fuck it, man! Just keep punching him. <laughs> I just, this is the whole while I'm still punching him, and he's still trying to like defend himself. And you guys are talking, it and it was hilarious. Yeah,
0: he accidentally did the elbow. I called it out because I'm the I'm the yeah. coach, right? And then he, then he apologized. And then the people, the the camera people next to us started laughing. So there's like this whole dialogue going on while two friends are sitting there beating the shit out of each other in the middle of a fight of a, of an accidental foul. It's beautiful stuff, man. Like nobody was mad. It yeah. was like making a huge deal about it. It was like you said that gentleman's agreement. You're just going to go there. You're going to fight whatever happens, happens your friends before your friends after, you know, and this yeah. doesn't have to be this insanely blown up thing in your head. You can just go there, have a fun scrap, you know what I mean? And move on with your life.
1: But there's a, there's a, there's a, there's different kind of mentalities when you Prepare yourself to get in the cage. Uh but he's he's a he's like this guy's like a seasoned competitor. Like so he's been competing in karate since he was a kid. He's been in all sorts of situations. He he does not need to kind of like mentally prepare himself. Not to the same not, not not like in the sense like you have to hype yourself up or anything. Like I've seen him meditate for four fights or like you know, go out, breathe, whatever, get in the zone. But for me, I have to, like, get myself to, like, dark space. You know, I have to, like, get myself angry first because um, I have to dehumanize my opponent. Like, I think some people look at it like it's a game. You know, this is, like, a competition. I'm going to a game. For me, like there's, like, that level of, yeah, I mean, I, I have a certain certain part of it is, yes, it's a game, it's a competition, but the other part of it for me is, like, getting myself in the mind space where I want to cause
0: damage you want to hurt someone. And
1: yeah, I want to hurt someone. Uh, so in order to do that, I have to really like fucking work myself up. I have to get like aggressive. I have to go into like this dark space. I have my hoodie on. I have everything. And so it was weird because like Teeban's not like that.
0: Yeah. He's so approachable. So and he's, and- yeah. He's,
1: <laughs> he's, he's like a he's like a golden retriever like he just wants to be like it's cool man like all right good luck you know fist bump before the match and everything and you're and just like, like fuck to, off yeah actually, <laughs> i'm not <laughs> eating right, right now yeah. and he's like what? why <laughs> and so like we we had to like walk out there right like um and the walkout area he is right before me him and his corners you were there right yeah, yeah. you, were, you were there. i was in your yeah, corner so, with your brother yeah, yeah you were by your yeah it's you and sn were in my corner so him and his corner is right in front of us, and, and it's all like, the people get, from the same gym. Everybody's from the same gym. That's and why it's you can tell like Tevin. wants to like fist bump with me. He's like looking back. He's like, I'm hey, just like, fucking, don't look at me, don't look at me because you're my friend, and if I look at you, then I'm gonna feel bad about what's gonna happen. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to like go full like Nate and Diaz with it, and, like you know, cursing to myself and stomping around. <laughs> Fuck this dude up. <laughs> pretty much, pretty much. we very 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 different mentalities yeah um like in the preparation of the fight but i think once we were both in there in there then we have very similar kind of um yeah similar like five percent values, i guess you could say like uh i'm not to worry about like I don't feel like angry when I'm in there when I'm in there it's yeah. just kind of like the focus I mean I think, I think for a lot of people it tends to be the
0: walk like I mean because the nerves it's the worst part yeah the yeah, nerves the spike part. right when you're on your way there like 10 minutes like right when when the previous fight before you is going on that's when you're really like whoah, whoah, you start to get a little amped up and then right the walk mm-hmm. like once the first punch mm-hmm. is thrown Like all of that shit goes away and you're, you're, you're in that flow state. You're in that state of reaction where you don't have time to really process what's happening. It's just, it's just reaction, reaction, reaction. So you can't really sort out how you're feeling at at that particular point in time because it's just, it's so immediate, the urgency of the fight. And then you you can kind of get into that state where you can make a joke and you can laugh as you're punching each other and all that kind of stuff. But man, the walk and the 10 minutes before you step in there, that's when you get that surreal thing that happens where you're like almost out of body and you're like what the fuck am I doing here like
1: (laughs) yeah yeah, it's the horrible
0: decision that I made (laughs)
1: Uh, I don't know for me like there's the whole thing is a haze up until the moment where you're actually fighting even like the way you get together and like refs there and it's like are you ready are you ready?" like I'm hearing it from like it's just like fog and only when I go back and you go like, you know, you go back to your corners and you're about to come out. That's when it's like kind of the fog starts to clear and you're, you're there. Dude, I remember you got, you were pretty fucked
0: up in that fight. I have this picture of <laughs> us that me, you, and Essan took like this within 10 or 15 seconds of the fight being over. And bro, you, there, your lights were on, but there was nobody home. <laughs> like you were. Dude, no, there was just a gigantic welt on my face. Your and eyes swollen it was, up, it was rough. Fatigue. Like you could tell. You ate some, you ate some tough body shots in that fight. I remember for sure too. Like. Yeah, I think there was a, a, a kick to the body, a, kick.
1: a snap kick he hit yeah, you with
0: yeah. the stomach or something that I thought, I thought was going to drop you. Oh.
1: Man, there are all these things where, like, I remember that year and then the year before, we had been, like, kind of trying to train to even to use the sidekicks a lot, his sidekicks and the snap kicks and all that stuff. And the he kicks minute, like he a fucking mule, money. dude. He kicks. Yeah, dude. He hit me with a was, spin back I kick was, in
0: training one time. I thought I was going to shit my pants, and he wasn't even throwing it hard. I was like, "Dude, yeah. if he would have thrown that hard, I would be on the ground in agony." Like I was like, "Oh no, this is a problem." <laughs> like as soon as he hit me with it,
1: the whole fight I was worrying about those fucking kicks. <laughs> it's like as long as he doesn't hit me with one of those one of those kicks, I'm fine. I'd rather be. And he first. hit.
0: <laughs> and he hit me with
1: one of the. I think he hit me in like the third round, and I was like, "Oh no." Oh, no.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to shit my pants on TV. Yeah, I was so worried. I
1: was so worried. Which is hilarious. Don't hit hit me with another one.
0: You're the one of the hardest kickers I know. So that's why it's hilarious that you were concerned about his
1: kicks. Yeah. I mean, the the, the interesting thing about that fight was that um, it was more of like a Muay Thai-based MMA background against a more of a karate-based MMA background. Yeah, totally. You know, so... Like, my brother and I, because I think you, you came on board, like, for the fight itself. Yeah. So, Esan, Esan and I were, like, working on strategy uh, leading up to it. Uh, so, my brother Essan, jiu-jitsu, blue belt, uh, but way, 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 way more talented in jiu-jitsu and wrestling than I am. Uh, and we worked together, like, basically the whole way up through the tournament until this fight. And this whole strategy for Tiban was like moving in a carving motion. So the the carving meaning like uh, like how snowboarders when they carve and they do like that kind of in out kind of like slalom motion. You know what I mean? Like when you've yeah. seen like the, the snowboarders when they're going down like, like that that tube, I don't know what it's called. Slalom. Yeah. And they're like, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh we are trying to find your so, angles, right? You come in. Yeah, so I'm something. like, I'm I'm constantly moving at an angle either like kind of like this kind of weaving motion, like left and right. Because um, uh, he's extremely strong, but he attacks, you know, linearly yeah. Yeah. As, as karate guys do. Uh, that was the plan. That was the initial strategy. I think it worked for like the first round, maybe two rounds. And after that point, it was just like this fucking blur. I was just running at him shooting takedowns i don't remember much else um but the strategy was always like weave weave into clinching range grab the clinch, take him down or land knees take him down disconnect punch like shoot disconnect punch constantly making it more of a an mma match as opposed to a striking match where I'm always either punching so I can get to his hips, or getting to his hips so I can land punches so I can get to his hips again. You know, that up-down uh, two-fold attack. Yeah. Well, when you, when you fight somebody like
0: that, that karate style, that blitzing, very linear, which you have to get inside without absorbing the damage, right? That, that's the trick. You can cut the range off, you can get inside, you pin him against the cage, you take him down. Once that space mm-hmm. is gone, the, you know, the power of the strikes and all that kind of stuff is mitigated. And you know, we all thought going in that you were also sort of the better grappler, but dude, that was a back and forth fight. I'm really bummed out that there's no video of that fight. I've never seen a video of it. Have you ever seen anything?
1: So, um, you've talked about this fight twice now in your podcast and I feel bad because there's, I, I don't know where to find footage. It's a great fight. I it's the
0: best Malaysian fight in history.
1: If, you, if you're watchers or listeners or whatever, like, look it up. There's nothing. Yeah. There's nothing there. And this has been my big kind of I appreciate everything Malaysian Invasion has done for the Malaysian scene. I think they were like, they were the guys who really kind of cause the whole MMA scene to explode in Malaysia. If it wasn't for them putting on this event, uh, I don't think we'd have the same proliferation of gyms, the same like size of the scene in Malaysia. It did huge things to the sport. But Two, okay, the two biggest issues I have. The first is that they did not do a good job with their media. Like you produce all this content, where does it go?
0: I mean, the thing with Tebin is crazy. Where's it it's, gone? It's,
1: it's such a lost. I mean, he's
0: like a f- super famous actor in Malaysia, and they have these epic fights of his that they could easily yeah. use to to generate interest in. Like, I mean, he's a fucking star. He's a superstar, and yeah. they are going to sit on this footage. Yeah. It's insane.
1: <clears throat> but it's it's like five seasons. You're talking about five seasons, mm. hundreds of fights. You know, if I, I don't know, at least at least hundreds of fights. Like possibly thousands of fights because they have so many. Like uh, from the last four seasons, uh, they're all like the tournament based fights, right? So you've like, you, know, you could you could you could really like put together an archive of Malaysian MMA from all of the footage that these guys would have had. And they're all like, you know, pretty well shot. Uh, I've seen like the cage side footage. It's, you know, it's, you know, it's, it's high quality, it's high quality footage, right? For an anime for a, an amateur production, that's huge. Uh, for the Malaysian scene that would be huge, but this footage is all kind of evaporated. I've been, I've been chasing guys within me to try and find it. Um, Steven's been trying to find it, like just our fight alone. We've been trying to find it. We haven't been able to find anybody with this footage.
0: Which is crazy Uh, because the production value is really high. They have, they're filming everything. It's a fucking beautiful venue. I mean, the venue that you guys fought in was fucking amazing. Like, what is the point of paying for that and having that high level of production value to just sit on it? I mean, you're right. That's a huge, that's a huge missed opportunity. I have no idea what they're doing. They could put it on YouTube. And just like the fights alone, and just the interest of yeah. YouTube, they could make ad revenue. Like there's so many ways they could spin that to make money off of it. It just seems like a waste.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, they they poured like, I think four four years, possibly more, six years worth of like budget into this uh, big event. And then they haven't like, it's it's just disappeared. In the age of the internet where footage can exist like forever, all of this stuff has disappeared
0: and content is king release yeah, the content exactly. like
1: <laughs> so that like to me as an amateur production that's a, that's your first that's the first factor that you kind of figure out that's the the, the first strategy that you developed is what do we do with our content after we have produced our content you know do we have somebody who wants to buy it from us um if they're buying it then what is the period is there like a leasing period how does it work blah 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 like how many different avenues do you want to go down in order to um you know make to monetize this content uh so that's the first thing that you should you should uh, wrap your head around and i feel like they kind of dropped the ball on that and the second is uh that they haven't i don't think they had enough people who were who had fighting backgrounds involved in the planning of their organization
0: yeah the organization was a disaster in some ways of the actual like who fought who this tryout thing that you're talking about. Like I know the yeah. story of the heavyweight who didn't make it to the finals because when they saw his name, they just dropped out of the fight. And if you dropped yeah. it it was worth less points than if you had gotten a TKO or something like that. So he didn't make it to the finals, even though no one beat him because he people kept dropping out when they fought him. And there are some huge organizational issues that they could have. Yeah. But even still, it was – the quality was good, even despite all of that. People were still down. There's definitely a yeah. lot of missed opportunities there. I think.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, now like that, that team. Some of the guys from the from the Mima team are still still involved in the scene. They're doing like the IMMAF stuff. Oh, is They're, that like, are they
0: just, are they connected? The Mima guys and and them.
1: Uh. They're not. I don't think they're directly connected to IMMAF, but they're doing like Mal- the Malaysian MMA Association or something mm. like that, which is then liaising with IMMAF to do like, to have run Malaysia's involvement in their tournaments. So now that IMAF is becoming, uh, you know, seems to have like this growing traction, uh, I think Malaysia is still sending people to, um, to these kind of international tournaments. We've just had, we had one of the girls uh, from Malaysia won gold, I believe. And last I'm off in her division. So the, the Malaysian scene, it's fairly strong, you know, it's just that I think there's, we just need to get our organization a bit tighter. A very typical Malaysian
0: like, problem. The organization. Yes. Is. yes, it <laughs> is. yes it Listen, is. I'll tell you, man, like having spent, I mean, I've been in Singapore for the better part of a decade with the only exception being the year that I was in KL and the, the quality of the athletes, the toughness of the fighters. I mean, you know, they're still growing, but God damn it, man, the people there love MMA. They're extremely enthusiastic. They're extremely tough. They train all the time. I, and I would still say that given good quality training, training partners and organized training that Malaysia within Asia could still be a powerhouse of MMA. I mean, those guys are tough, they fight hard, they train all the time, they're so dedicated. You just wanna see them do well.
1: Yeah, I, I think, I think the, the good thing about Malaysia is that there's kind of a, a healthy and growing scene. I think the bigger the scene is, the more likely it is that you'll have like, legit fighters uh, coming out eventually, you know? I, I don't, like we have a, a handful of these um, pro fighters coming out of Malaysia. Uh, already there's like the there's Johnny Suka there's Aguantani there's um, uh, Iman, Muhammad Ayman uh, have trained out of KL quite a lot Ev, Ev yeah
0: there's uh, a little bit of bad. both there's, there's,
1: too. There's, yeah he's, 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 I kind of count him as a Kiwi even though he represents yeah. Malaysia thanks Ev, for representing Malaysia but um, yeah. His, yeah so you have like quite a few of these Malaysian fighters um, coming out but I think like the next, like the next second, third, fourth generations will come once, like that, you know. Eventually, once the scene has kind of reached its peak, when once it's once it's grown a little bit more, I I don't know. I feel like these there's a there's a missed opportunity, like there's a big missed opportunity in both the organization of uh, the the organizations that are kind of like running the scene right now, as as well as like in these the ability for these like tournaments and these organizing bodies to kind of unify the, the scene as well. Um, I think the, yeah, if you don't have like a strong amateur competition scene and like these smaller gyms, um, don't really get like the, the venue to grow their fighters and grow their stables. So similar to like the situation, I would say like in Singapore, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of strong gyms. There's not a lot of, um, not, not a lot of venues for them. I think there's there's ultimate beatdown and there's SFC. Yeah. <clears throat> um, SFC has been, I think it's has not been as active. Yeah. That's, the last few that's, years.
0: Well, the uh, Alvin's coming out with his thing, the Lion City Championships. He's going to do that one as soon as this lockdown thing is over. You got the SFC. Yeah. You know, that's pretty much it. But it is pretty inconsistent i would say that's the number one problem but singaporeans have a huge benefit in the fact that they can travel to compete much more on a general level i would say than most malaysians Mm -hmm. you know so a a lot of people here if they want to be amateur fighters they can go and fight overseas and they can kind of afford to do that and have that as an option which tends to be more difficult in malaysia and then you know, to your point about the the quality of the scene, that's you see stuff like Ultimate Beatdown; those guys taking pro fights with almost zero training. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because yeah. there's no amateur scene. I was just there with uh, with Fizan to fight, and you know, <laughs> Ultimate Beatdown. If anyone's been, you, you know exactly what you're getting when you go there. It's basically just a verbal agreement, <laughs> and most of those guys train for like a month. They <laughs> they get in there and they fight. That's it. With very little training Great. or experience. Great. It Man. would be it would be nice to see them have a more fleshed out amateur scene for sure. Which was awesome. Mima was awesome for that. It just needs consistency. And then there's the way that they structure, it has to be revamped because that kind of fighting every month and then people pulling out and then giving points and all of that kind of stuff is silly just make a bracket, have everybody fight, do a seeds, right? Like in the Mima thing, based on the records of everybody, Teeban probably should be the number one seed because he was the champion. You should have been the number two seed. This person's the number three seed, four seed. Put them on the different end of the bracket and go. You don't need to have yeah. these points. Like it's, it, Dude, the, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. There's tournament formats throughout the world. Everybody knows how to make a, yeah.
1: a martial arts tournament. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. So uh, for people who may not know, the last tournament that I was in, the Mima tournament, they did a league format which I guess is something that they do in, you know, regular organized sports. But these are, so it involves basically everybody fighting everybody, you know, and whoever has the most points then advances to the championship matches. Now that works in sports that don't involve getting punched in the face, right? (laughs) You're talking about (laughs) sports where like people can get knocked out or submitted or and head kicked it's a terrible idea um, what, uh, there was there was one there was one fight Teban fought this guy who he just like obliterated okay I should be a bit kinder I mean he, he 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 basically TKO'd the guy in the first round like uppercutted him several times until the dude collapsed I thought for sure this guy's not coming back for the next round right turns out they didn't rule it a KO. I guess they ruled it a TKO or a Dr. stoppage or something like that. But they allowed the guy to come back for the next round. And the next round, he was fighting me.
0: Which would have been like, so, what, three weeks, a month later?
1: It was a month later. Context, no, a month later? A month, yeah, a month later. Roughly. So yeah. I was like, this, like, if this guy has had a concussion, or even like a mild concussion from any one of those strikes, that puts a lot – I felt like the onus, like the pressure was on me to preserve this guy's health. Yeah, like when it should have been on the organizers, which is not also, the like, mental
0: space you want to be in when you're in a fight with somebody who can also catch catch you and fuck you up. And
1: yeah, 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 some sense of I mean, self preservation
0: also, also needs to be taken into account for. Meanwhile, you don't want to cause this guy brain damage who just got concussed a month so ago. I
1: I I felt like I was like really mixed feelings going into this fight. I mean, like usually my mentality going in is like they're going to try and hurt me, so I have to make sure that they cannot hurt me by hurting them. <laughs> Hurting them first, they can't hurt me back. Yeah, hurt. <laughs> exactly. Hurting them worse, earlier. So, but with in this fight, like I'd seen what had happened to the dude, yeah, I just felt really strange going in. And I think of the first, the first minute, I catch him with a hook. I just kind of like I tap him with this hook, and he's like, he's kind of like trying to move away from me. I think he was a bit nervous, um, probably because he had just been knocked out a month earlier, but. I, like, uh, that'll I shake jump, your confidence, for sure. Yeah, so I, I jump in with a hook, and I just kind of like ding him with it, and the dude falls down. And I was like, good God, like you know, it's definitely like something still is going on. So I, I got on top, I was gonna try and like, I ground upon a little bit, I was gonna try and work for a submission, he gets back up. Um, we have a bit of exchange, I took him down again. And I've mounted him, and he's he turns his back, at this point, I'm like, dude, I'm talking to him. I'm like, dude, you don't have to keep going. Like, let's just, just, give, just give up. It's okay. Like, you don't, have to, you don't have to continue. And he was like, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. Like, so I managed to find the rear naked choke and finish him. But I felt really weird coming out of that fight, you know, because I'm punching this guy knowing that he's probably still damaged, you know. I tried to do the best that I could to, like, ensure that he wasn't furthered he wasn't hurt any, any worse. Um, but Well, I mean, yeah, it's, the, 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 it's a
0: testament to the flaw of that, the
1: structure. I mean, yeah, to, but the, the league format makes no sense when you're you know, doing combat sports. So I think these things have to be considered. That's part of the reason why I felt like if, if somebody who was a competitor was involved in this whole, not, not actively competing in the competition, but a former competitor was involved in that decision-making process, and these mistakes maybe wouldn't have happened things uh, yeah because any fighter knows
0: any fighter knows you can't schedule fights within a month from each other and especially when everybody has to fight everybody because okay what if you're the what if you know you're going against the favorite in the first round and I mean I know you brutally head kicked one dude in one of your fights and then didn't he have a fight scheduled like three weeks or a month later
1: no luckily that was that was the last fight in the tournament so he he was but but I think it they had it been a, a different
0: time, the same thing could have happened, right? I mean, yeah. This thing happened throughout all of the different weight classes. People getting KO'd and then coming back, being expected to fight later, because even though they lost, they could still get to the finals if they can get enough points through beating other people. Yeah. But yeah, the, the concept is just not applicable to to MMA for sure. There
1: was I mean, I was in these group chats with like the other people within the tournament, right? Um, and there was a lot of debating going back and forth. Uh, some of the fighters felt like, you know, well, we're fighters. We should just be able to, you know, this is part of what we stand up for. You know, should just be like, just tough it out. Like, yeah, you're gonna get hurt. You may get hurt. You may get damaged. Um, but you're, you're you're fighting in a cage. Like, what do you expect? What is this? Some 1990s
0: and
1: just bleed USA yeah. bullshit.
0: So, <laughs> what are we doing here? On, oh my God.
1: On one hand, I understand that. But on the other hand, this is an amateur tournament.
0: Yes, you're not getting you know, paid for this
1: <laughs> yeah, okay, so that, here's the problem. they were paying people Yeah, they were getting paid a little this, bit yeah, that's yeah this 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 Fair. is my my third issue with the whole tournament with the whole MA you know, format was that they were paying people now once you pay an amateur fighter, they change from a competitor or an athlete to a prize fighter, you know, yeah, especially in Malaysia, especially like some of these purses were like. They could go up to several hundred or a thousand ringgit. Um, If you are making, say, like the average, they said the average family, average household um, makes about three thousand. If you taking the whole country into account, if you're making three thousand, and somebody offers you even five hundred, that makes a difference. That can be rental. That can be electrical. That can, you know, if you have kids and that's like part of their you know, the, the, the cost of their schooling, you know, that makes a difference. So just to, to, to kind of dangle that in front of people, I felt like was a dangerous precedent. Yeah. There's a reason why teachers
0: aren't paid. And it's not just because, you know, people don't value what you're doing. Right. I mean, there's a reason why, and it's that yeah. exact reason. The, it changes the incentives. And when the, first of all, when you pay people, they're way more willing to just be super aggressive to fuck you up, right? Like you're fighting for your food. You're fighting for your meal. You're fighting for your rent. It's not like a, you know, an amateur fight can be a, a friendly competition. Some people, you know, like Teben, can just touch gloves and you can have a good old-fashioned scrap and it's not the end of the world, but then you'll get some people in there who are going to take your head off and you might not be the same afterward when people are fighting for their rent. You know what I mean? It changes all the, the incentive structure. Actually, Polina was talking about that on one of the podcasts about yeah. how Mima kind of set the precedent that amateur fighters need to be paid and now it's very difficult to to ask for people to fight even amateur without
1: being paid. Yeah. Well, the, the, the issue is not just like that people will go aggro and you know, try and kill you. I mean, people may try and do that anyway. Yeah. The, I felt I felt like the issue was that the, um, the risk, the understanding of risk is different, right? Cause if nobody is getting paid, then you're then, you know, you don't have to, you're like, okay, I can take this risky fight or I can not take this risky fight. You don't fight. have to go out on this field in the same way. Yeah, I'm not getting paid anyway, you know? Yeah. Whereas if somebody's like, well, I'll pay you $1,000 to take this fight that's a month after your last fight and you may get, you know, you may get hurt really badly. You were already hurt badly last month. You may get hurt badly again. You're like, well, this $1,000 will make a difference in my kid's livelihood, you know, in my, my family livelihood. So I'm, I'm going to do it. Yeah. So yeah, that's a good call. I think you're right about that. You yeah. Know, I felt it. like, you know, the, the, that's the big thing for me is that, um, yeah, I, I have to get in this like really dark space in order to fight. But at the same time, I kind of like, I empathize with these people. Like as soon as I get out, I'm like, Jesus, Like what, what did I do? Yeah. After I got a head kick, the, that head kick knockout, I felt terrible because <laughs> the, but the week before, I've been trying to do research on this guy, trying to figure out what he, you know, what his style is or whatever. I, of course, because it's Mima, there's no footage, I can't find anything. Um, all like <laughs> my cousin was trying to help me do some research and she sent me, like, okay, I found something on his Facebook. He's got two kids. I'm like, Ugh. yeah. Uh, why are you telling me about his kids? Yeah, I don't the, know about y- his you kids? should tell why? me he's
0: like he's lives in solitude, and you don't want to hear that shit.
1: Yeah, like, yeah, tell me that he, I don't know, that he beats his wife or something. You want to tell me something <laughs> yes, personal? Exactly. But He's but got two he's, kids. He's like, a
0: really nice guy, Ahmed, who's just trying. But knowing, you know, like, things. knowing
1: this this guy, he's like, he's a, he's a cop. He's got two kids. He's working hard. To, I assume yeah. he's working hard to, you know, give him a, a, a decent living and livelihood. And I was like, shit. As you soon know. as I, I got the heck here, I looked at him. Damn, man, I feel bad. I felt bad. So, you know. In the moment, you do what you gotta do. I was kind of talking to the ref during that fight as well. Um, trying to, because I think I'd, I'd heard him before, before the head kick. I already kind of, you know he's done. I think you hit him with a body yeah. shot. Yeah, I, I hit and him with a body shot. The dropped his elbow and then I opened up the head kick. Yeah, it was like teeps to the body. I hit him like a front kick or teep or something, a body kick and he was like winded and I was like, okay, dude's done he's not coming back from here it's the same um, thing when you i'm that muay
0: thai fight when you had that muay thai fight and you were just busting that dude up and then you finally hit him with the body shot toward the end there and the referee was like okay fine it's like dude save this guy because you were fucking that guy yeah over. yeah yeah i mean but at least that was a pain that was a paid that's professional the fight but even still
1: yeah paid hey, wasn't that much but <laughs> i don't know I, it was just it, it's just i i like the competition i like the i like the creativity that allows you I like also how much you learn about yourself in this whole process um, for me the but I don't I don't like I don't revel in other people's suffering mm. like uh, in the moment during the fight yeah sure maybe a little bit but like after <laughs> afterwards mm. no, like afterwards like they're you, you they're human beings you know you see them as human beings so i think of this of this very like complicated moral tapestry that is mma well let's let's run and with that's, that that's we'll,
0: competition we'll, we'll transition a little bit from mima and start talking about that because i i think it's one of the the most inter- you and i always talk about sort of the psychology of fighting every single time we end up talking we always end up down this rabbit hole and i really think mm-hmm. it's interesting because you and i both are the type of people that don't particularly like hurting people. And then we also both kind of have to go to that dark place. And in some ways I think fighting and training of course offers us a lot of catharsis that maybe if that energy were directed toward another, if it was directed into a more destructive way toward bad tendencies, drugs, alcohol, this or that, mm-hmm. like, you know, martial arts in some sense, I think for both of us saved us and it has for many, many people. Cause it gives you, a way to channel that aggression that you have, especially when you're young, you're a teenager. Like that's when both of us really started finding martial arts. And there's something to be said for that, right? It's like that, that shadow self that you try to get under control, that aggression and negative thoughts that you can channel that into something physical and to something positive. Uh, You get that aggression to sort of fight for you rather than fight against you. And it, it really is this interesting tapestry of, confusion and being conflicted. And like, why do you why do I like fighting? Why do you like fighting? It's fucking stupid. And when I'm there, I hate it. But I still want to do it. And I get really confused and, and conflicted. So I don't know, what's your take on this? Why, why do you do it? What was your initial drive to toward it? Because I know you started training even younger than I did. So I'm curious as to what your thoughts on sort of the whole thing are, why you started training, what, it, what led you to it? And then how do you sort of integrate that into your adult life in a positive way?
1: Yeah, uh, I'd say, like, why I started, I I mean, I started training when I was really young. I started training karate, I think, when I was maybe 10 years old, um, and at the time, it was just because I sucked at all other sports, and my mom wanted <laughs> to put me in something that was, like, protect me from bullies or whatever, but um, for me, it was, like, the reason I kind of got into it was the, the expressive side, you know, you could do these things with your, um, you know, do these wild movements with your body, like that uh, both express a part of your personality, but in, in a competitive sense. That's the art part like, of martial art, right? It's, yeah, yeah.
0: Self-expression, like dancing or something. There's, there's yeah. something there for sure. Yeah. And everybody's- I've, using- always
1: been like a, I've always been like an artist as well. Like I drew since I was a, a child, and so, like for me, like yeah, like the, the dark place, like art was my way of getting it out. Martial arts was another form of art to me. Especially once I started getting into like dancing, uh, I understood my connection to martial arts a little bit more. So I was like, okay, this is like an individual art form that you're creating in this like pressure cooker environment um, against against a resisting opponent where you're constantly it's basically like, it's like rapid fire problem solving, you know, somebody's throwing these problems at you and you're trying to solve them, create your own problems for them whilst expressing yourself through your physical medium. And with having really severe consequences associated with your ability to solve the
0: problem or have your problem be solved. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yes 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 well like yeah that's that's where like the adrenaline component comes in like uh that rush you know because the worst that's feeling the first is time. when
0: somebody solves your problem right when it goes the other yeah, way yeah, exactly it's like, like, oh, the fuck. worst <laughs>
1: <laughs> no but it's like oh I've probably I, I wasn't
0: complex it's... enough fuck
1: <laughs> <laughs> that uh, yeah like once you spar for the first time like that adrenaline rush is like nothing else hmm. i think i was doing karate and yeah, I, like, I liked it, but uh, like the forms were really boring. I, I didn't really get into like the, you know, self-defense stuff. It wasn't until like a hit sparring that it really like kicked me and I just never did anything else. Like I basically just like sp- would spar with people only, would not learn the forms, wouldn't bother learning self-defense stuff. I was held at the same belt level for like two years, which were, or, like, was it, yeah, were like a year which for karate is ridiculous because you can get like your black belt in like three, four years, you know? <laughs> yeah. So it was, uh, I found that thing for me, which was like this intense pressure cooker of uh, violent self-expression. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, sparring is also very different from competition. Yeah, it's, competition. A, it's another I, level. Yeah, I hated competition growing up. I did it like once as a, during karate during my karate days never did again um but not yeah i don't know so what do you think it is that drives someone like, like you or
0: me or anybody that fights or competes that i would say most people you know i mean you're an architect that's your profession your dad now i was a fucking teacher like what mm-hmm. do you think in you know teaching and artists tend to lean a lot toward martial arts because i think there's something that they can see with that sort of self-expression, right, that they, mm. they, they can relate to. They see the beauty in it even through the lens of the violence that's ensuing, right? And I always just kind of wonder, like, what is that thing? Because most of the people that – some people that I know that fight are just fighters. They want to fight. They love to fuck people up. Like There's, there's a mm-hmm. subset of that type of person. But generally speaking, most of them are really kind of soft-spoken. I feel like you have to get over a really big hump. To go from training to competing and fighting, especially if you, if you do have a sort of, you know, like maybe me or you, you're introverted, you have a, a softer disposition most of the time. I just wonder what that thing is where you can sort of, it's almost like you have to suspend all disbelief, right? Like if I'm a normal person, an everyday person, what on earth would make me want to sign up and then fight for people's entertainment? <laughs> like, sure. yeah a real mental leap to go over that and I wonder it's different for everybody but I don't know what do you think that is for you like taking it to the competition level as opposed to like oh it's a good way to stay fit or it's a really interesting craft to take up in your spare time or
1: yeah well I mean I think like there are two different things right like the the craft component of it I think everybody everybody who gets into martial arts are all bit by that bug initially they all fall in love with like the art form itself and then eventually like you hit a point where it's like you're you're just kind of carrying on with the art form, with like the love of the art form itself. But for me, I think I also had kind of a I'm a competitive person. By by nature I have that kind of slightly competitive edge. Um, so to just do it and know that I was good within the context of my training wasn't enough. Like I had to like, test it.
0: Yeah, there's always to, this question it was testing in the back the skills. of your head, right? Like when you're training, when you're training, yeah. there's always this kind of nagging little question in the back of your head that's like, yeah, but it would, would it work for real? <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, yeah, that, of that course. That question just fucking beats you in the back of the head. <laughs> and you're like, would it work for, what does it really feel like to get hit hard? You know what I mean? Like, does is this proven? Like, okay sparring you're going like anywhere between 30 60 percent like what if it's 100 Could will my technique stand up to it is this you know that's a non-question i think in the back of a head that's for sure a motivating factor for a lot of people i think
1: yeah yeah part of it's also a community thing like if you, if you come up in a gym that's full of people who like fight yeah uh then it's just it's a part of the culture um when, when i when i started training Muay Thai, i was training in uh in new york um yeah, and this is like a gym full of people who are just like regular professionals. I don't think anybody there was a professional fighter. You know, they're just like some of them were like graphic designers, engineers, musicians, whatever, like it's very diverse mix of people. But I think quite a few of them had like gone into, you know, had, had amateur fights, you know. Almost everybody there trained with amateur fighters. There was no like division between regular people and fighters. It was just like a spectrum, and so when you when you see it as like a spectrum and not like as a clear division like oh you're the regular people here are the fighters, but it's just like there's you know people who train there's people who have like that kind of who, who continue to advance their training towards those experiences towards competition um, then it it kind of like normalizes the the competition aspect uh, so for me it was like I, I kind of came up in that culture I was like you know you can train for a long time, but you have to kind of, you know, if you want your training to advance, you need to compete. Yeah, you know? Yeah. I think and that there's good. And having like a very deep um, amateur competition culture was also, also helpful because in New York, I don't think there was, there's like a handful of, of pros, but the amateur scene was huge. There's like so many, so many gyms, like, there's a, the Friday night fights, which are big events that they would have like in every, I think, once or twice every month. Uh, and every gym would just kind of like send fighters to it. It's like this, this, this ritual. Like the whole city was uh, alive with like that, that amateur scene. So you felt like you're a part of this big community. You're like, whether you were supporting fighters or training yourself, you're always kind of like connected to that competition.
0: Yeah, I, th- I mean, if I could give advice to any young fighters, especially in Asia, it would be to fight more amateur fights. Like if you're thinking about like, oh, do I want to compete? Do I want to take a fight? Do I want to take a fight? Take a bunch of amateur fights. First of all, you get desensitized to fighting. It, it doesn't seem as overwhelming when you have a lot of fights. But look at the boxing model. I mean, those guys have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fights and then they start yeah. their, pro- their pro career. Right, unlike even the ties, if you think of the ties and sort of uh, amateur boxers, they'll typically have around the same amount of fights, right? Mm. A couple hundred, something like that, 100, 200, whatever. Yet, sure. the, the career of the ties ends 26, 28, generally. I mean, some ties make it a bit longer, but the career for amateur boxers, then going into pro boxers, they can still have a pro career for 10 more years after that, right? Mm. Partly is because their skills have, have developed to match. But also because if you take an amateur fight, the the damages are not the same. The consequences aren't as severe. The referee stopped the fight earlier. Like, you know, in a pro fight, most of the time, the coaches or the fighter themselves will go out on their shield, right? If you're in there making a lot of money like Tony Ferguson or something, right? he doesn't want the fight to be stopped even though he's getting his ass whooped and he can fucking have brain damage by the end of that fight. And the amateurs, that's taken away from you. You don't get the right right to go out on your shield. Because we know what you don't know. We know that this is one fight and it could be many and you're still trying to figure out what you may not know that you may want to fucking go out there and get bludgeoned to death because you think you're tough and you're young and fucking full of fire and energy and all that kind of shit. But the judges, the referees, the code, we know we've seen it before. Just go out there, fight hard, you lose, you get tagged, drop a couple shots, boom, done. Fat gloves, shin pads, you know what I mean? You're going to be safe. And through training and training and training and lots of amateur fights, you're gonna develop a level of technique and a level of comfortability in that situation that you won't see Mm. here. I mean, how many if you haven't taken a guess, in Southeast Asia, we can say Malaysia or Singapore, how many fights do you think the average fighter has before they go pro? The average
1: here compared to? (laughs) Two? I'd say maybe three, four.
0: I'm being kind, extremely low. And how many fights? Yeah. Would you reckon they had
1: before that? <laughs> Zero, <laughs> like none. Yeah, no, none. Zero. No, I mean, that's so insane. many people jump into jump into the pro rankings here, or jump jump into like pro fighting here. But I think it's also because like a lot of these small promotions won't have that division between amateur and pro. They won't. They won't, they won't kind of like make it as clear. Like I don't, And if there's no amateur scene, what are you meant to do, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you have to hold these amateur events. But I also, I so, so going back to this
0: a little bit dude. cause I, again, this, this fighter psychology thing really, really interests me. When did you think you'd, how many fights do you think you had before you sort of turned the corner and you understood what it was and you could really let loose in there because I always, my thoughts are the key to being a good fighter is, and to hit that level of self-expression where you, is to hit that flow state, right? That's always the yeah. goal is to be able to find the flow state. If things aren't vibing right, you just, you just can't hit it. You have to reach a yeah. sort of technical – it's like being a dancer or something, right? If you're a shitty dancer and you, you don't know the choreography yet, you're never going to be able to find the real joy and find that flow state. But once yeah. the choreography is in you and your muscles can just take over, then that will translate. You could hit the flow state and then it looks beautiful, right? When do you think how, – how long did you have to train before you were able to sort of – while people are throwing bones and shit. I mean, I was really impressed with your, with your pro Muay Thai fight because that was your first fight without shin pads. It was your first mm-hmm. fight in those small gloves. And you never know mm-hmm. how you're going to react to that until a fucking bone hits your, until they throw a kick yeah. and, you, <laughs> and you get really bone on bone, right? You don't know until you, until you feel it for the first time. But you, yeah. you definitely hit the flow state in that fight. So I'm curious as to
1: like what your take is on that. Yeah, that was the first time I had a kick check, <laughs> bone on bone, that was terrifying. Uh, no, but I think one thing that helped me—I um, didn't really feel comfortable, I'd say, with competition until, yeah, I think right before that fight. So it took me losing in Mima back in two thousand fourteen, and then having my uh, to kind of like start changing my mentality. Um, back in two thousand fourteen, I, I fought I fought uh, Mima as well, same tournament. I won two fights, then I met. The uh, I met Aguilan in the third round, and I was I was really nervous for that fight. Aguilan Tani, he fights in I, in one right now. Just for a little yeah, context yeah. for the listeners. Yeah, he was. You know, we we had I think trained together once, maybe once or twice, um, and everybody like was like, okay, this dude's one of the favorites to win the tournament. Like I was one of the favorites to win the tournament. So I knew I was going to have to face him at some point, but um, yeah. I I was nervous and I think my coaches were nervous as well and I I trained It's a step up. It's a big step up in competition, right? I mean Yeah, no, but I overtrained. I went nuts. I was like I think two like maybe a day or two days before the fight, I had a I had a pad session with my Thai coach and I was just like killed myself on the pads. Crew, right? Yeah. And and crew (laughs) crew will
0: destroy you on the pads.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Uh, and, and I was, so I was, I was training like the week of the fight. I was really, really, really anxious. Uh, and because of that, like I, I just fucking and my, the whole the mental weight that I put on myself, like feeling like I needed to win, feeling like I had all this pressure. Like I just fucking I flatlined after the first round. I I just totally dumped my gas, the gas tank in the first round. Um, and yeah, I just got, uh, got, got choked out in the second round. I, I basically like, I think even before he got the submission on me, I mentally had cracked. I think just physically I was worn out mentally. I was worn out. And so after that fight, you know, having a couple months, a year or so to think about it. Um, and then taking the Muay Thai fights, I realized that like, that, uh, you, you cannot, you know, you, 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 after a certain point, you just have to, at a certain point in your training, you have to say, this is what I've got, and I'm gonna work with what I've got. I remember reading this, I read this quote from Marcelo Garcia that, I, that had a big impact on me. And he said, like, um, you, you shouldn't be basically trying to invent new weapons for yourself going into a tournament. You should know what you have know what weapons you have and just sharpen you sharpen your swords that's all you're doing and then like the week before the tournament just be like the rest of it is mental preparation i don't remember the exact quote Uh, so i'm i'm just a shitty shitty summary but essentially you're saying you know uh you don't like you basically uh pare down your training to the essentials to what you to know what you're good at uh, have confidence in what you good at, uh, and then when you come down to like the, the the last week, it's just mental prep. And so I went with that strategy on that with, with that that multi fight, pro fight, multi fight. I uh, you were loose, avoid you were you
0: were having fun in yeah. there. It was not like, like the
1: end of it didn't I look like training. the end of the world for yeah, you. Yeah, I, I was I was training hard. I was super fun. relaxed, but it was because I was like I was training hard during the like the month or so, two months leading up to the tournament, leading up to the fight. Uh, the week of, I was just chilling. I was just boxing, I was visualizing. I started doing a lot more visualization, which helped a lot. Um, and I actively avoided coaches that I knew I would want to kill you, would, would want to kill me, make me <laughs> yeah. overtrain. Yeah. <laughs> um, it, was, it was interesting because I think for that fight, I was working primarily with Grunoy, and with uh, Tom Grunoy's son. Son in law. Uh, and Krunoy is like uh, in his 50s. He's like a sage, old trainer. Uh, and h- his perspective is very different from like the young coaches. Young coaches, young Thai coaches, want you to continue training up until like two days before your fight. Because uh, they're like, well, this is what we did, you know, so you should do it too. And Krunoy is sort of like, just make sure you're in a good place. Yeah, you know, rest, don't overtrain yourself. His was like clearly the, you could see the experience difference between this OG coach and the young coaches. So I think that, that was a, that was a key thing for me, even going through the MEMA tournaments is that I was like, you know what? I'm not going to try and I can try and develop skills, but, but you can't, can't force long. it. Right. You can't, you can't, can't force, force it. it. Yeah. You, gotta, you have to just vibe. You got to ride the wave, right? You can't yeah. try to
0: go against it. You know,
1: So I I knew, like, all right, this is what I've got. These are the skills that I've got. i got to just be confident in that and just, you know, I can work on my cardio, refine some things here and there, but I'm not going to rewrite the book in, like, a nine-month tournament where I'm fighting every month, you know. (laughs) It's got to work with what I've got, basically. And so I went with a total opposite approach from, like, my 2014 run. In 2017, I was literally just like, I was almost too too relaxed. I had one fight. I fight with Take Away, which was a really, really, really tough fight. Um (laughs) I got married like the yeah, like two weeks before that fight. I was in the States. I was straight up (laughs) I was hardly training. I came back, I had two weeks to train and then I and I fought. But I was actually like in a better mental place. Uh, before that fight then I had been like in my two thousand fourteen fights where I was like training all all day, every day. Weren't so stressed uh, out and everything. Yeah, I was like, screw it, man. If I lose, I lose, like uh I'm just gonna go in there and give it my all because I had that kind of like, you know that kind of loose mentality, I think I performed better in that fight. Even though I still probably got my ass beat more than I should have. I was in a better like headspace the whole way through the fight i didn't crack i think that was the thing that kind of scared me about that fight in 2014 that was something that kind of catalyzed my mental transformation leading up to the muay thai fight and then the mima tournament 2017 was that feeling yourself crack mentally is probably one of the scariest things like the physical exhaustion is, is terrifying for sure but then the mental the mental fatigue and knowing you're like, oh shit, maybe I do have a wall. Maybe I like I'm not that caliber of person. Mm.
0: Well, it's interesting, right? Because we, we, we all know what that feels like in training. I mean, I don't, I don't care who you are. Everybody, if they do hard training has broken in training before, right? There's just no way like months of training, weeks of training, years of training, you're smashing the pads, you're getting like, you have a shit fucking day, something bad happens, you go into the gym, you're just like, fuck this. Like, we all know what that feels like in training. And that's one of the most important things I think about martial arts is that as you begin to train further and further, your breaking point extends further and further and further. It's different in a fight because you're training for a specific moment. And on that moment, you have to be on point. So we all know, I mean, you think when you're a white belt and a beginner Muay Thai and you got hit and kicked in the body for the first time really hard and your liver shuts down, you feel like you're going to shit your pants and you're falling over. Like that's, that's breaking right now, later on. And later on that same body kick, you develop mental toughness. I mean, Sometimes you get kicked so hard, there's nothing you can do. Right. But, right. Right. But a lot of times it, your, your mind will just shut down, even though your body might be able to just stand up and continue going. And I think it's one of the most important things about martial arts is and like you said, you learn these things in fights. You mentioned earlier about how one of the benefits to competition is that you learn things about yourself that you could never otherwise learn. And through training, you have these moments where you break. You also have these moments where you overcome and you hope yeah. to shift the ratio more toward overcoming these difficult things as you begin to train more and more. But, you learn things about yourself in those moments where you break more, you learn more about yourself in that moment than you ever would. So it's interesting that you say you had the mental adjustment after the loss. And I mean, you're not the first person to say that it tends to be a, a universal truth that everybody understands is that as you continue to do this further and further, you're going to get tougher. You're going to break less and that shit will yeah. translate into other parts of your life. So, uh, Ahmed, before we go, I'll let you go soon because I kept keeping you here for a long time. So oh, talk, yeah, talking to your wife, over I, there. Uh,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> but uh, I had one thing I wanted to pick your brain about, man, because uh, mm-hmm. it's really two things. First is like, where do you see yourself in this martial arts journey going as the years go? We're getting older. You know what I mean? Like, who knows how many of the days of pro fights are, are in front of us? Or are they mostly behind us? I remember yeah. we talked so much about T-Bin on this podcast that he came to me one time. This was like, I think right around the time that pascal that movie he was in came out and he came to me to the gym and we trained and everything and he just sat down next to me and he goes oh man i think uh, you know i need to take another fight and i was like why would you want to take another fight and he goes i i, I just keep telling people that i'm a fighter and i, don't, uh, I yes. can't keep telling them that i'm a fighter if i keep on fighting and i was like dude right. you don't need to you fought already that shit's in your past and then i told him i was like listen man let's say you fight for three more years. Let's say you fight for five more years. Like eventually that shit's going to run out. And then what are you going to do? Are you, are you going to quit training? Are you going to define yourself by this thing that you can't, I mean, you can't do it in your forties and your fifties and your sixties. And I told Mm -hmm. him, I was like, the better approach is to be a martial artist. That you can do that into right. your seventies, you can still work on your craft. You can see the growth, all of the shit that you wanted to do in your training, get better, get skills, stay fit, overcome those mental struggles. That shit's going to continue. It's a never-ending, it's a never-ending cycle, right? So, I think it's probably healthier. It doesn't
1: sound as cool. No, it does not sound. Like <laughs> it doesn't sound as cool as saying you're a fighter. <laughs> but if you're a fight, I think it sounds
0: cooler, man. Honestly, martial artist to me, martial artist. That's the best. That's right there. And plus dude, if you fought, you're a fighter. Like you don't need to prove that to outside people. So I'm curious with you because one of the things that's really interesting about you and the people that I've met in my years of training in Asia is that everybody here, there's so many high level professionals here. You're an architect. I have doctors at my gym. One of the owners of my gym is a lawyer. You know, there's something really special to me about these martial artists who seek out this discomfort and the suffering to master a craft in their spare time that involves them getting punched, kicked, choked, all that kind of shit. It's one of the most amazing things about it is this crazy community of people who get together in their free time and just fuck each other up for fun. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I'm curious at this point in your life where where you see martial arts taking you and then how you kind of view it now compared to how you did when you were younger.
1: I don't know, I mean, now, now I've had, like I've been out of the tournament, out of competition for a couple of years. I've been injured and dealing with injuries and not able to train. Um, and so I'm thinking about things very differently now. So I was already kind of transitioning towards coaching. I think for me, it's, it's rewarding in a different way because like you're, you're looking at martial arts um, kind of more conceptually you know, when you're, when you're training, when you're an athlete, uh, when you're a competitor, you're thinking like, okay, how can I use this technique? How can I, uh, what techniques can, I, can, you know, help me achieve my goal? But so you're thinking about martial arts, a very like individualistic kind of perspective. But for me now as a coach, I'm setting back and thinking about it more as like, more as a like the whole the whole kind of spectrum tapestry of martial arts trying to that's smart because
0: conceptual learning is without question the highest form of learning
1: well i think the what i've enjoyed about mma um of my experience with mma uh, has been kind of bringing things across disciplines like um say i started i started jujitsu and muay thai around the same time and then i got more into like traditional muay thai like you know bouncing your front foot the whole like super like traditional kind of outlook on muay thai um and then got back into jiu jitsu and then started seeing where things bled over between the two of them you know you start drawing concepts from disparate martial arts and saying actually okay there's certain there's certain universal truths between um like muay thai and or striking arts and grappling arts like say uh any, any form of grappling, whether it's like Muay Thai clinch or Jiu Jitsu or like the clinch in boxing or anything involves uh, manipulation of like the top vertebrae in your spine, mm-hmm. these two, these yeah. two, three here, you know? So that's like a principle that carries across everything. If I can control these and I can control you, whether we're clinching in Muay Thai, whether I'm just like kind of trying to rough you up in boxing, whether you're doing side control, uh, in Jiu Jitsu. Can I give um, you one real quick? Yeah.
0: Get, getting in between the space of the elbow and the knee, right? Like if yeah. you're trying to pass my guard, you have to get in between the space of the elbow and the knee to get to the side control. If you're doing Muay Thai, yeah. you, want to land a, you want to land a clean body kick. You've got to penetrate the space between the elbow and the knee. It's yeah. yeah. a universal yes. truth of... of the
1: open open elbows. Yeah. Open elbows is the, the goal always. Is how to open elbow... Um, so these like these these concepts that kind of percolate between all the martial arts. Are, it's something I find interesting because in the end of the day, martial arts is like manipulation of human anatomy, right? Whether against their will. Yes, against their <laughs> will. Like <laughs> whether it's striking it or bending it in some way, you're all like human anatomy is your is your is your target, and so there's certain concepts that can bridge across all of it. Uh, so that's like that's kind of where I'm going now it's more into like the direction of coaching and uh, what about how it how it affects work, your your sexual. sort of
0: personal life and your professional life outside of it like your work or you know i mean these are open-ended questions right <laughs> they're very broad i'm just kind of curious to as a quick as a quick way of addressing a massive to- topic of conversation
1: well actually I, I you brought up the thing about teban and like the title of fighters um, i'm going through that as well where you know like i've get introduced like a, my contractor on site will introduce me to a subcontractor like, Oh, this guy's a fighter. I'm like, I'm also an architect. <laughs> <laughs> this is That's like the cooler work. part. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah like the, the fighter will always be like the more interesting part of you. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm carrying it forward into like, you know, my regular life. Um, it's, it's always a talking point in conversation and I think it but that I think makes it difficult for people who are former competitors because you it's always have it that, yeah You always have that itch you know it is always associated with your identity whether you compete or not but because it is you always want to compete especially
0: when you as a, as the individual as well put so much work into fostering that that skill set and that identity and yeah you, you go through so much difficulty and suffering to, to earn the title of being a fighter. If you do it right, you know, if you don't just mm. pop in there one day for, you know, after training for a month or something like that. Yeah. It does tend to be difficult to disassociate those two things. Do you think that you'll keep, keep training as life goes on and on and on and on? Is this something you would have your, you put your kids into? And
1: yeah, I mean, I'll keep training for sure. And I think like me getting into coaching is also because I have a, I have a kid now. At the like my, my son is eight months old i'm already thinking about like okay when he's like two three like teach him how to leg kick bro yeah <laughs> gonna, like where am i gonna take him to train am i just gonna train him at home you know so i'm, I'm like i'm trying to plan for like the next the next phase I guess. we got
0: to get you your um, black belt dude we got to keep keep working
1: on that that's <laughs> a long way from my black belt. come
0: on now, bro we got to get you training training again i know that you went back in and then you kind of got ruined by a coaching move that I completely disagreed with, but hurt yourself or got hurt rather, I would say.
1: Yeah, it happens, it happens. Well, um, training
0: as you get older, right?
1: Yeah, well, the good thing about getting injured is that it forces, I've, I've had like a bunch of knee injuries, hand injuries, shoulder injuries over the time. And like every time I injure myself, it forces me to redirect my energies towards working on something else. So I've been trying to get better at boxing now that I can't use my legs. <laughs> uh we'll see <laughs> boxing during a uh, quarantine has been um less has been interesting yeah what boxing, have you been doing
0: boxing. let's let's finish up on, on this point i mean all i have is kettlebells i don't even have space to really box or kick or anything like that so no
1: I, i've been doing using a lot of kettlebells as well like just i have a kettlebell and a pull-up bar and i've just been using those two things and shadow boxing that's basically it uh shadow boxing uh better actually i went to, physio for the first time in two and a half months uh, because they open the physio now and apparently like my knee is much better thanks to just being stuck indoors and not being able to kick people for two months hey Charmaine said (laughs) the same thing she's like this
0: is the first time since I started training that I've actually been able to recover from all of these horrific injuries that I've had over the last three years who would have thunk Constant training, yeah. I think a lot of people are going to be healed up and ready to go, and then some people are going to go way overboard and get immediately injured as soon as they walk back
1: into the gym because they're amped to train. Yeah, I may or may not be one of those people. Don't be that guy. Use the wisdom that you've accrued over years and years of training. Uh, I know, I know. I just, I just so desperately want to kick someone right now. <laughs> I feel
0: you, dude. Me too. I'm fucking Jones at heart. This is the longest break I've taken from my training in six or seven years I was, since before I came to Singapore.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm curious to see what the scene will look like in the next couple months. Because I mean, I, I don't know, I don't know what you guys are going through in Singapore, but here it's like the gyms are still uh, closed, so yeah. I think the fitness industry is going to be hit really hard. Uh, it's going to be like the climate's going to be really different. I think for MA in the next next few months.
0: Yeah, because even if they like uh, our circuit breaker is supposed to end in June, I think June second. And even if they yeah. open up, we might be able to do some striking classes with some social distancing mm-hmm. involved. But things like mm-hmm. grappling and all that kind of stuff, I don't know exactly what the plan is. I'm hoping that they just come back full, but most likely they're going to ease us back in with some restrictions and small classes, no direct contact. I hope yeah. not, but you know. Gotta- but this
1: is this is a conceptual problem to all jujitsu coaches at this point. Like, how do you break it down in in a way that you can? drill it, you know, individually. So now you're seeing all these like solo drills work coming out. Um I feel like yeah, it's it is a it is it is like the conceptual question of our time. How do we break down the art in a way that an individual can practice it instead of a partner? Yeah. You know God, I hope we don't have striking yeah Yeah, enough down of
0: logic, that road. But, oh my God. Shadow jiu-jitsu. Everybody knows that's an efficient way to learn. <laughs> I did that the other day. I put a, I did a Zoom class and it was like, you know, wall inversions. A lot of, you know, those drills Itzalo used to do, where it's like hip escape on the wall, invert upside down. Yep. 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 yep, Standing punches and kicks and shit like that. But I had an interesting little class because I had people doing like some traditional, I've adopted more traditional techniques in my older age. And I'm starting to teach like the back kick and the side kick. I used to always get, the confi- I used to always get them confused because I would kind of like do both of them one and the same. And then I like had a little bit of an epiphany. i was like, Ooh, okay. So I'm going to start you know, like the knee comes up to the chest and then extends out on the side kick. But then you mm-hmm. told me one time that like on the back kick, the heel comes to the butt. And I was like, oh, I didn't really, because I watched other videos of other people teaching it. And then I realized I was confusing like a, a spinning back kick and like a turning side kick. Slightly little different variation on the two. Yep. So. Yep,
1: it's, it's the benefit of being around a lot of like karate and taekwondo people. So you learn those little things. Uh, but I've been yeah, playing no, with like, the
0: sideways stance. I've been playing with that in training. Well, before the, before the circuit breaker, playing with the, you know, doing a little bit of like the Michael Venom page sidekick, Steven Wonderboy from the sideways stance, kind of blitzing a little bit. And people, if I can so, get a circle to a side, <laughs> trying to spin. My wheel kicks are better, been, dude.
1: They're better. <laughs> you've, been, you've been flexing on your students, then. Yeah, totally. I guess. Totally.
0: Yeah. I gotta mix it up, dude. I gotta mix it up. My boxing's becoming shitty because
1: I'm doing all kinds of bad tendencies in the gym and shit. Yeah, here you're dropping your hands and doing yeah. this like Roy Jones kind of nah, shit. You know, I try. <laughs> uh, yeah, I That's that's the thing. Is like I think as a coach, you still want to go out and find new information. Otherwise, you know, you start. Like I, I feel like. I'm constantly out there looking at what other coaches are putting out there, trying to like watch other fights, just to try and absorb new information. You know, you ever try a sideways stance? You ever play with that? Your side
0: kicks, your back kicks, spinning back yeah.
1: fists. But for me, I, that's not my, I wouldn't go back to it. Like I would. Oh yeah. You had the base. transition. Yeah. I would like flow between different bases. I'm know? like, bro,
0: have you heard of this sideways stance thing? And you're like, yeah, this is my first thing I ever did.
1: <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. I started there. I started there, but I, 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 I intentionally like didn't go back for a very long time, and only recently I started like playing around with like those sidekicks like snap kicks, things like that.
0: Oh, so when you see like um, Michael Venom Page and then you see Wonder Boy, you're like, okay, there might be some something to play with here. That I don't know, hand, man. That rear hand, that's, dude. That, still that's still not my
1: thing. <laughs> You got to mix thing. it up. You'll get bored of Muay Thai eventually, dude. I'll, I'll let Tevin do it. I'll let Tevin yeah. do it. Yeah, he's exactly. better at that stuff than me anyway.
0: All right, man. Well, I think right. on that we should wrap this thing up. How was that? Was that fun?
1: Yeah, uh, we should do it again. I'm sorry, like I'm a little bit low energy right now. I'm still in fasting mode, so I'm only. I'm, I'm like half. I'm only half present right now. Yeah, that's
0: okay, man. No problem. I'm gonna get Teban on. Teban will be on the podcast in a couple of days, and then he can tell some Sweet. stories, and you guys can compare notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. Let, uh, let me zoom bomb you guys so I can talk shit to him. Yeah, no problem. Send me the link. without him know.ing Okay, sounds good. I'm just ambush him. All right. Peace up. All right yeah, yeah exactly. Okay, guys, this is the Stronghold right. Podcast episode 20. Thank you, everybody. Have a good one. Bye. Sweet.